So this is that time of year where people are, uh, you know, most open to trying new things. Uh, sometimes that's good, sometimes that's bad. I saw uh, a group jumped in the St. Joe River again yesterday. I think it was yesterday, it might have been the day before. I'm pretty sure it was, what's today, second, first, yeah. Anyway, it, 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 and I thought, well, uh, that's something I never tried, and I'm not going to. Uh, not one of the new things that I'm, I'm really looking forward to or, or up for. Uh, some people make New Year's resolutions. I'm not a big resolutioner guy, um, you know, but the coming of the New Year does start us thinking. It, it, it's a natural turn of the page, if you will, and it starts us thinking a little bit about changes, uh, you know, maybe beginning some new good habits, maybe stopping some old uh, bad habits, you know, dropping some of those. Uh, now, depending on what source you checked, and I tried to look some things up, and so it's between 46 and 92 percent of people make some sort of intention to change, between 42 and 96 percent. It depends on what source you're looking at. You know, on which on, on what it is you're, you're looking up when you try to look these things up. There's all sorts of things out there. I did hear a report that over one third of those people who do uh, begin try to begin something new give up by the 14th of January. Uh, the 14th of January. You know, two weeks. I remember when I used to go to to the uh, YWCA to work out. Actually, I just met a group of people there and we ran from there. Uh, do other people, you know, doing other things. There was always this time of year with that group we called the Resolutioners. Um, they were the ones who came and started, and it was pretty busy, you know, in January, and then we saw it fade off as January went through, and then February went through, and by the time you're through February, pretty much you're down to the folks it was uh, before the new year came along. Uh, but then I had to remind myself, uh, I was one of those Resolutioners one year. Uh, I can't, I didn't start at the beginning of the year like that, but I, I, I hit a part where I thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, start making some changes. Um, and as I was looking up some of these other things on how long it sticks, it says after six months between 4% and 46%, and again, 4 to 46, it's like what in the world? Um, you know, but between 4% and 46% are still sticking with the changes they started. Um, you know, but what, what was clear from those statistics is over half the people who wanted to make changes uh, didn't stick with them. You know, they, they, they didn't stick with it. What's overlooked in all of this stuff, I thought, is the percentage of people who don't even consider bothering to make some changes. It's like, oh, I'm good. Uh, you know, I'm, uh, or, or maybe they've made them a different time of year. I, 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 you know, uh, you know, well, the whole thing is sometimes when we start, when we try to start something new and we don't stick with it, we can get discouraged. And, and then what happens then is when we get discouraged, because of that discouragement, we're less likely to stick with some of the changes we made. Uh, you know, less likely to do that. You know, maybe we think we've tried, you know, more than once without success and don't even think about changing anymore. Um, I was telling Ginny this morning, uh, so in, in, in one day, um, between yesterday and when I weighed myself yesterday morning and I weighed myself this morning, I gained four pounds. For pity's sake, four pounds in one day is like kind of like seriously, dude. Um, you know, the I had been trying to lose weight and uh, I because I thought I needed to, and I still think I do need to lose some weight. But as I was doing that, I had gotten to the point where I had lost about 20 pounds. Well, uh, I. I put back on eight right now and it's like what you know 
let's let's get back to to what we were doing. It's easy to get discouraged, though. You see, not just about losing weight. I mean, it's about anything, any, anything that you that you try to do. And then when you get discouraged, though, then you're less like uh, I put on some pounds. Oh, I'm so discouraged. Give me a cookie, will you? Um, you know, the, the, you know, whatever it is that might be. What I want today, I want us to look at a passage that I believe gives us some encouragement, some encouragement, some direction, some real help in this whole area of making changes. So let's pray, and then we're going to look at it. Father, thank you. Thank you for uh, the, the way that you work in our lives and the way that you lead us, not only to some changes, but in some changes and through some. What we just shared in communion was a reminder that we have been changed. Changed by the grace of God. Changed by the sacrifice of Christ. Changed by our relationship with you. So as we look into your word now, help us to not shut our minds off to you, but rather to have them open, open a little bit more than maybe we are used to, that we might see uh, ourselves in your word, that we might see you in our lives. So help us toward that, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, I'm going to try to cover the whole chapter today. Obviously, we're not going to cover every detail. Uh, we're just not going to be able to do that. I want us to see, though, what God had Paul tell the Corinthians here in regard to making changes. Uh, really, to me, as I was reading this, it was encouragement, as, and even as I studied it, it was even more encouragement for when we're thinking about changes. Uh, now, the first ten verses here uh, are, are simply to give us a better context. So we're going to move into you know, the second half of it. Uh, parts of it will move a little faster than others. Uh, but uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 1, if you want to follow along, it says, For we know that if our temporary earthly dwelling is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. Indeed, we groan in this body, desiring to put on our dwelling from heaven, since when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. Indeed, we groan while we are in this tent, burdened as we are, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. I love that phrase. I mean, if you want to circle something in your Bible, that's a great one. That mortality may be swallowed up by life. And the one who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a down payment. Verse 6. So we are always confident and know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight, and we are confident and satisfied to be out of the body and at home with the Lord. Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the tribunal of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or worthless. Now let's pause there for just a minute. Uh, Paul is here, he's really addressing this temporary nature of what we think of as permanent. Well, sort of. You see, because we, we know that we will all leave these bodies. But here's what happens to us. We see it as so far removed from us, from our present. We see it so far removed you know, from our, our present you know, that, that we become very disconnected from the reality that this life is temporary. 
You know, we become disconnected from that. Now, I'm not bringing this up to discourage anyone. And, you know, this causes anxiety for some folks. And, and I understand that, you know, but uh, that's not my goal here. My goal is to, you know, to get us to see, you know, he, he's what he's talking about here. And what he's talking about is that eternal nature of what we cannot yet see. And he says it is based on the fact that it is built by God as our eternal dwelling place in his presence. Where we are now is not that eternal dwelling place in his presence. I will tell you we are still in his presence. But it's not that eternal dwelling place. He, he refers to these bodies here, he says, as, as a tent. And what he's talking about is that that, etern- that eternity that God has prepared for us, that dwelling to be with him in his presence. You know, this whole mortality, you know, this existence that we have right now, he says, there is swallowed up by life, true life, full life, better than your best day here. And it's not just this picture of heaven of, well, everything's hunky-dory, you know, whatever a hunk of dory is. But you know, it's, it's, the, it's, it's a picture, that reality that God has prepared so much more for us than what we now see and what we now know. And he tells us, you know, for now, God has us in this world, in this here and now. And it's not by accident that we are here now, and it is not without purpose, it's not without a plan. This is good for us to know. It's good for us to know that God has us here and now for a purpose and with a plan. Now, when I say he has us here and now, sometimes, you see, we're just sitting and looking forward to whatever, whatever. I get so much stuff in the mail, and many of you do too, about retirement. You don't have to be old. I was going to say like John, but I don't want to insult him. I already did that once today. <laughs> uh, you don't have to be old uh, you know, to, to get stuff for retirement, and, but they give it to you, and really you need it when you're younger to get this information. And so, but that's what some, that's what, you know, sometimes that's what we're aiming for, when I can just sit back and do whatever I want. Well, there's a whole sermon around that one, but we won't hit that today. Uh, you know, this whole, this whole thing, what we need to realize is God has us here, now, for a purpose and with a plan. Well, you know, I'm not really, uh, you know, I want to move to Florida, Utah, Oregon, Hawaii, wherever. You know what? God may certainly move you somewhere else. But that does not negate the fact that God has you where you are right now for a purpose and with a plan. Well, after I get my degree, after I, you know, get my house paid off, after I get a new car, after I. And we have all these after things. And what we begin to do is we begin to overlook that God has us right where we are right now with a purpose and for a plan. 
Well, what is that plan? Well, some of it he makes, he makes pretty clear. You know, we're going to see it even as we go through this again because you know, it's pretty consistent throughout Scripture. But you know, he's talking about life and life in this world. Now, it's not the final reality, particularly for those with a relationship with Christ. It's not the final reality, but it is not without purpose. You know, it's not without a plan. Life here needs to be seen for what it really is. You know, being and being away from our heavenly dwelling, and and you know, but we're still with the Lord, and He still has that purpose for us. Now He goes on in, in verse eight. You know, he, he, verse seven. He says, "We walk by faith, not by sight." Verse eight. We're confident, satisfied to be out of the body and at home with the Lord. At home with the Lord. Here He's referring to that time when we will actually be gone from here and with the Lord when we will actually vacate these bodies and we will step into you know his, his very presence you know with him there now and as i as i read that the thought came to me the thought that came to me was this how am i living life with god right now how am i how am i doing that? How is it that I am living life with God right now? I should be. It's not just for when I, when I exit this body. I should be living life with God right now. You know, one, one thought about, you know, where we see our home, you know, is what, you know, what are we living for? Or what we are living for. You are living for something right now. What are we living for right now? Now he says right there, make it our aim to please him. We make it our aim to please him. Not just when we leave these bodies, but now, current. You know, the current choices, the current activities, the current involvements, the current, you know, the current commitments should be made to please him. To please him. One of the things I have found, and I've told you this before, I've told you before that I have never regretted following the Lord. And I haven't. I, ha- I, have, I have zero regrets about following the Lord. I have zero regrets about doing what he's told me to do. Sometimes I wanted to do something different. I wanted to do something else. But I have never regretted following the Lord. Why? Well, because of what, you know, what he tells us here, you know, that we make it our aim to please him. And you know, the interesting thing, when we make it our aim to please him, I find that I am much more pleased in life and with life when my aim is to please him rather than to please me. He has it all together. He knows what it is. I, you know, I... Sometimes I don't even know what I'm having for lunch, for pity's sake. You know, uh, he's got it all together. But what he, you know, we make it our aim to please him. Well, as I was thinking, you know, and I'm looking at this, you know, we have to be at home with the Lord, make it our aim to please him. So what it is is we're living now with the end in mind. Uh, one of these uh, guys who gets credit for being um, some kind of a, 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 a motivational. Uh, organizational guy says, you know, to uh, that you, you what you're working on now, you work with the end in mind. And, and and while that's true, you know, we need to live with the end in mind. 
when I'm working on something in my garage and, I, you know, and, I'm, and I'm building something, whatever it might be, I, as I'm working on individual pieces, you see, in my mind, I'm, I'm looking and seeing how that piece fits into the, the thing I'm building. When I go through this day, I should be able to look at this day and see how this day fits in with the life I am building to please God. This day isn't separated from the others. This isn't, day isn't separated from the goal of living life to please Him. You know, and He has that right there. You know, our, our lives should be driven by this certainty of Jesus Christ's future reign. That I will be with Him. And so all I'm doing now is because one day I will be with Him. You know, and, and what you do now, how you live, reveals who you are truly committed to. How you are living your life now reveals who you are truly committed to. We're not saved because of what we do. We're, that, that's not it at all. Rather, what we do in life reveals whether we really do have a relationship with Christ or whether we're just going through the motions. You see, what we do in life reveals whether we have that relationship with Him or if we're just going through the motions. If we're just doing some of these things, it's not what we do. It's that relationship with Christ that should be reflected in all that we do. But our preoccupation with the present cripples living by faith. It cripples living in faith because we're so preoccupied by, by what we're in the midst of. You know, and our relationship with Christ is not based on our work, it's based on faith. Now, don't get all freaky on the faith issue thing. You know, sometimes we, we, we get that and we have a hard time wrapping our, our minds around it. And, and think when I, when I think of faith, you know, faith is, is trusting in God's promises for the future. It's trusting in His promises for the future. It's believing God's words, not in spite of what we know, but because of what we know. Faith isn't, I, I can't understand this, you know, and so just, you know, just don't worry about it. So, no, faith is, is based on what we know about God. And because of what we know about God, then I know I can trust Him with the part of my life I don't know about. That is part of what, of what faith is. You know, it's, it's not in spite of what we know, but it's because of what we know. It's an active dependence and confidence in God's promises for our future because of what God has already done in our past. That I know I can trust Him with the future because of what I've seen in my past. You know, it's not merely a mental assent. Faith is not merely this mental agreement to truth, you know, of information from the past. Rather, it's an informed act of the will by which we entrust ourselves to God's sovereign goodness in accordance with what He has done, what He has declared, what He has demonstrated by His intentions toward us and toward His people in this world. And when we read in the scripture of how God has, has acted and led his people in this world, we see and we know that we can, that we have based on what we know about God, that we can trust him with what we don't yet see. You know, and if, if you think of faith as only a mental ascent, then you end up with a very weak faith that tolerates sin. If you think faith is just agreeing, yep, you know, Jesus, Jesus is God, Jesus died for our sin. If you think that is the extent of faith, you will have a very weak faith and you will tolerate sin. 
you will you will see that you know you will in, in your life because it's like yep I I got that I just, I have that agreement but it's not it, it is basing our life on the reality of who He is and what He has done in our life and, and living out that whole reality. Now when God said you know back in in as He's giving you Ten Commandments and He said you you know that you will shall have no other gods before Me, what He's telling us there. What he's telling us when he says that you won't, you, you, that you, that you don't, won't have any other gods uh, before me, what he's telling us there is that he will be sufficient. He will be sufficient for us in all things as our sovereign provider, our sovereign redeemer, Lord and judge. So trust him alone. You'll have no other gods before me. You can trust me is what he's saying. And faith is trusting God to work in our best interest. Faith is not an attempt for us to show God how sincere we are. That is not what it is. It is, it's, it's trusting God and trusting Him to work in our best interest. Obedience to God is what faith in God and His promises looks like in our everyday life. Obedience is what it looks like in our everyday life because we are trusting Him. Let's pick up verse 11. He says, therefore, because we know the fear of the Lord, we seek to persuade people. We are completely open before God, and I hope we are completely open to your consciences as well. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to be proud of us so that you may have a reply for those who take pride in the outward appearance rather than in the heart. For if we are out of our mind, it is for God. If we have a sound mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us since we have reached this conclusion. If one died for all, then all died. And he died for all so that those who live should live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. You know, sometimes we wrestle with this phrase, uh, fear of the Lord, because what he says in verse 11, because we know the fear of the Lord, and we wrestle with that. And I think a big, a big reason is because we associate uh, a fear with being afraid, possibly even terrified, but in a negative way. We look at it sometimes in a negative way. Uh, today, though, the problem is we, you know, we fear God so little uh, that we seldom see the seriousness of our sin. Because there is so little fear for God. Uh, you know, and, and we sense the seriousness of our sin so little that there is seldom a fear of God. And they feed, feed each other. Part of the fear of the Lord is knowing and respecting God's proper place as sovereign and God's power as ultimate. That is part of what fearing God is. It is knowing that He is, that He is sovereign and that we, we respect, we know and we respond to the fact that He is indeed sovereign. That is His proper place. And we know that you know, that his power is ultimate, that there is none stronger, there is none who can defeat him, there is none who can thwart his plan and his promises. You know, but it's not just knowing them in our head, it's that whole reality of knowing them and believing them so firmly that they guide our lives, that it guides our living. Making a commitment to Christ in the past means nothing if it's not matched by a continuing pursuit to live for Christ in the present. 
To say that you have faith in Christ, that I made a commitment to Christ, you know, in the past, it means absolutely nothing if you are not continuing to pursue Him in the present. Because what you did back there was you were just checking a box. You were just saying, if I do this, then God will do that. And that's not, and, and you're avoiding the real relationship with Him. It, it's, if it's not matched by a continuing pursuit of Him, what you did back there was nothing. It meant, it meant nothing. It's that relationship of living with Him. And because we know God's place and because we know God's power and the importance of His guidance in our life, then it says what it says there. Then we seek to persuade people. We tell other people so that they can come to know life with Christ as well. Did you ever think that God has you in the place He has you right now for the purpose of telling those who are around you right now about life in Christ. It's not just later. It's not just Andrea who goes to the mission field or someone else. It's where God has you right now. That is your mission field. To tell others, we seek to persuade people. We seek to tell people. It's not it, it, what it is here. It is, it is not living so preoccupied with our own life that we overlook the need uh, that other people have to hear about and to come into a relationship with Christ. We don't overlook that. Too often, we are not completely open for, before God, as it says here. Now, we would agree that God knows everything, and, you know, we would agree that he knows what's going on in our life, but we live as if he doesn't. We would say, yes, he does, but then we live as if he doesn't. We live as if he doesn't know everything. We live as if he doesn't know what's going on in our life. This is, this is, not, a, this is not a question when it talks about being completely open before God. This is not a question of God's wisdom and knowledge. It is a question of our openness before God. It is our question of our recognizing Him. He tells us in verse 12 that what's going on in the heart will be revealed in our, in our outward appearance. Sometimes right away, and, but some people are pretty good. You know, some people are pretty, uh, pretty good at hiding it and, and living as a fake for a while. You know, just for a while. But the truth will come out. The heart will be revealed. You know, it will happen. Verse 14, he says that the love of Christ compels us or controls us. He's the one directing, guiding, leading in our life. That word, that, that, that word compels, and it's translated that way in, in I think, most of the translations. Uh, it means to hold together. For the love of Christ holds us together, holds life together. You know, keeps us within bounds, that love of Christ. And he says, one died for all. One died for all. One died, it was one death for all sin. For all sin, that one death. It was one for all those who come to him. It's not, you know, a different, a different God, a different Savior for different people. It's for all who come to him. And it's for all time. It's not just for back there. It's for here and now. And that purpose of salvation is so that we'll all live for him, not for ourselves, not so that we can have it easier, but that we live for him. Pick up verse 16. 
He says, from now on then, we do not know, we do not regard anyone in a purely human way. For even if we have known or regarded Christ in purely a human way, yet we now no longer regard him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away, and look, the new things have come. Everything is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. There it is again of telling people about Christ. Verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, certain that God is appealing through us, We plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is really the section that drew me to this chapter, particularly verse 17. But before we look at 17, look at verse 16 again. Verse 16 says, you know, that... from now on, we do not know, we do not regard anyone in a purely human way. Even if we did uh, know Christ in a purely human way, we now no longer know him in, in this way. Uh, I, I like the way the Amplified Bible translates part of that. It says, so from now on, we regard no one from a human point of view. We regard no one according to worldly standards and values. We don't look at them according to the worldly standards and values. You see, we need to begin to see people as God sees people. We, begin, we need to begin to see them as those who are worth dying for. That's how God sees them. We need to see them as those who need to know him. Not as people who need our condemnation. Not as people who need, who need straightening out. Now, you know, I struggle with that sometimes. Uh, yeah, I, I do. This is, you know, these are areas of my own struggle. You know, sometimes I, I just see people as, you know, people who need straightening out. So you can pray for Ginny because she has to live with me. Um, you know, but it's, it's, you know, that we begin to see people as God sees people. You know, as those worth dying for. We need to see people as those who need a relationship with Jesus. You know, maybe this is a whole new outlook for you, you know, a, a new way to see others. But if you're going to help people be reconciled to God, as he told us here, if you're going to see them as that, it is imperative that you see them this way. That you see them as those who need a relationship with Christ. It's imperative. Verse 17, the one that drew my, first drew my attention to this whole passage. You know, he talks about that we're a, a new creation with Christ. Now, Here's what I want you to know. John Gonser and I were talking briefly about this a little bit earlier in the week. He asked me, he says, where, you know, where do you think you're headed on Sunday? And I was telling him about this passage. And here's the thing that we need to remember. He's writing this to Christians. He is writing this to those people who already have a relationship with Christ. If you look at the very very beginning, the, the first verse of, of the book, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, he says, To God's church in Corinth, I am writing this to those who already have a relationship with Christ. I am writing to those who already understand who Christ is. And here he says, verse 17, he says, In Christ there is a new creation. There, there it is. There's our position. There's our state. 
Now here's what we need to really grasp a hold of. He goes on, he says, the old things have passed away. Okay, so in, in Greek, this is in, a, in the aorist tense. The aorist tense indicates a decisive action. This is done, this is finished. This is something that has happened, this is an accomplished fact. Old things have passed away. But he goes on, he says, new things have come. Again, in the Greek, this is in the perfect tense. That indicates a continuing action. Something that, that has happened, but it, it has a continuing effect. It has a continuing reality that goes on there. And those who make a claim of, of knowing Christ Jesus as their Savior and yet live as if, he, as if he doesn't matter have not come to that place. They have not become a new creation, you see, because they have not gotten to that place. When we find ourselves living in a way that's contrary to or less than what God calls us to, we have the option to ignore it or we have the option to be made new by Christ Jesus. Those are our choices. To yield to him and to begin to open ourselves up to him more and more. To his transforming power. His, his power at work within us to help us to be made new again. Part of how that is done is by leaving the old behind. Quit indulging in sin. Make a decisive action to stop indulging in sin. Make that decisive action that he's talking about here. And welcome and begin to live out the new. A continuing action in your life. To welcome and to continue to live out that new relationship with him. You know, some, you know, some of your sin is habitual. Break the habit. Stop that. If what you're doing is sin, stop it and stop it now. Don't wait. You, 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 you don't wait. You get rid of that. You make that decisive break. Verse 18, he says, everything is from God. You see, he is the source and the initiator. Everything is from God. He is the source and the initiator. We are forgiven because of him. We are forgiven by him. You know, we, we are forgiven because he took the first step. Forgiven because he reached out to us. He is the source and he is the initiator. Familiar verse to us, you know, John 3.16, For God loved the world in this way. He gave, you see, he's the initiator. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. He is the source. He is the source and the initiator. Romans 5.8 But God proves his own love for us in, in that while we were still sinners, the initiator, Christ died for us, the source. Ephesians chapter 2 For you are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. He is the initiator. You are saved by grace through faith. He is the source. He is the initiator. It's not work so that no one can boast. It's not because of what we have done. It is because of God who is the source and the initiator. Uh, that we, have, we are forgiven because he is that source and initiator. 
And God reconciled us to himself, and he tells us here, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We are to help others come to know that they can be forgiven through a relationship with Christ. We are to help them to know and to understand that. Verse 19 through 21, he explains what that ministry of reconciliation is, and he tells us uh, again here that we're to be helping others to be reconciled to God, not to please us. We're to help them be reconciled to God, not to please us, not because it will make us feel better. You know, and sometimes that's what we want. We want them to come to Christ because then they'll quit irritating us. No, they won't. No, they won't. You know Christians who irritate you. Part of the gifting of God is that we irritate one another so that we can pay attention to Him and be drawn to Him and get... So, you ever wash a pot and something's stuck to it? Well, you have the choice. You can put it away dirty. Yeah, I'm glad you made a face because I've eaten stuff you've given me. Uh, yeah, we, we can either put it away dirty because we can't get it clean, or we can do what? We can get out something to scrub it a little bit harder. So that it's clean, like it should be. Sometimes God brings a Brillo pad into our life of another believer. And sometimes we are that Brillo pad in other people's lives. Don't, don't you be that, you know, don't you make that your goal. Um, God is the one who does that, and God is the one who, you know, who who puts that in there, you know, for us. And, and that's what it is. So we, we help one, you know, we help one another be reconciled to God. And we help people be reconciled to God because without Him, they're still lost in their sin and they're headed for hell. Begin to see them as God sees them. Begin to know and understand, you know, that that they are going to hell if they don't know Christ. Verse 20, he refers to us ambassadors. You know, ambassadors represent really the leader they serve under. And he says we are ambassadors for Christ. Christ Jesus reconciled us to God the Father when he became sin for us and gave his life on the cross for sin. A decisive action. A decisive action. He made that decisive action and became sin for us and gave his life on the cross. And then each time we find an area where we're out of sync with God, where we're doing our own thing, where we're pursuing our, our own agenda instead of God's, where we're pursuing our own pleasure instead of thinking what God wants. Whenever we get to that place, we need to be reconciled to God again. We need to be made new again. A continuing action. He has made that sacrifice so that we can, He has made that sacrifice, that decisive action, so that we can be made new again, that continuing action in our life through His sacrifice. We are made new. And verse 21 gives us a great explanation of the gospel there, that great exchange. He takes on the sin for us, and he gives us the righteousness of Christ. On the cross, Christ took our sin, and because of the cross, we take on God's righteousness. You see, righteous living is a natural response uh, to having a relationship with a righteous God, a natural expression of being united with his holy character. Reconciled people live reconciled lives.
as a result of being made new and the privilege of being made new again as we live with him. Make changes that will draw you closer to Christ. A decisive action to stop sinning and a continuing action to live for Him, to live with Him continually, daily. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the way in which You allow us to come to You. Thank You for what You have done for us on the cross. Thank You that that action is done, that is completed. What, what we need for salvation, what we need for new life, what we need to be able to make these changes, to get sin out of our life, You have already accomplished on the cross. It is a done fact. Now help us, help us to live as reconciled people. That when we see those areas in our life where it is not what it should be, where it is not what you would have us to be, that we will come to you for that forgiveness. We will come to you and be reconciled to you, that continually being made new and having new life in you. Father, guide us toward that. Don't let us be discouraged. Don't let us stop because we've blown it once in a while. Don't let us think that we, we just can't do this. Help us to get up once again and come to you for that forgiveness that you've done once and for all on the cross to help us be made new again and to continually be made new again for you and in you to live for your glory, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.